Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Epic. So tomorrow's going to jump up and explain that to us. I'm going to pray for her before she does. So, so pray with me and ask God for some stuff with me. Father God, we want to thank you that we just heard you speak to us through your word. We, we want to pray that you would give us hearts and minds that are ready to hear right now, ready to hear what you have to say to us through your word, which is reliable. We want to pray that you'd help us to focus. Pray that you want to, we pray that you'd help us to get heaps out of the talk tonight and you'd really stir us to understand this stuff and live lives for Jesus. And we pray that tomorrow would be um, explaining the truth and it would be helpful and clear. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what are your hopes for yourself? Uh, let's think in the future, say 10, 15 years, finish school, finish study, maybe got a job. What do you want to be? What do you hope to have? What's the picture you have of a life that would made you, make you go, oh, yes, this is it. This is what I wanted it to be. Let me tell you what I want for you. A life of blessing. Greatness. A life that is truly great. Full of meaning, richly blessed, abundant. And it's not just me who wants that for you. Your God wants that for you. I feel like at this point I need to stop and tell you that the talk tonight almost needs a bit of a trigger warning on it because about halfway through this talk I'm going to say something that will probably make a bunch of you guys a little bit nervous and will definitely make your leaders pretty nervous. Uh, You might already be feeling a bit anxious about what I've said so far but we're starting here with an awesome truth. Does God really want us to have good lives? Yes. That might shock you that God wants that for you. Your vision of God and what it looks like to live the life that he wants you to might be boring, dry, missing out. But that is not the picture that the Bible paints of the life that God wants for you. God wants us to have an abundant life, full, joyful, overflowing. So how do you get that life? Well, Paul gives the key to a bunch of Corinthian Christians in the letter we just read. Paul's raising money, um, and the Corinthians are one of the groups who said that uh, they'd like to send money with him to help the starving Christians who are in Jerusalem. But it's been a year since they said that. 
Uh, and Paul's worried that they're not going to come through with the goods. And so he sent some guys to kind of help them get ready. And he sent this letter to remind them why generosity matters. I think it is so interesting what he does here. He doesn't spend a whole heap of time going, those guys in Jerusalem are really, really hungry. He spends his time explaining why what they do matters. In these two chapters that were around tonight, he gives so many reasons why their generosity matters. And in the passage that we read, we're focusing in on one of them. Generosity matters so much because of the good life that God has planned for you. And he picks it up by talking about farming. So take a look at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, my farming experience has not been massive, um, but the last couple of months, I've had a crack at growing some basil, and that's gone all right. This is it. It's alive. It is flourishing. And so I'm now ready to educate you all about farming. Um, here's, here's, what I've, here, here's my farming advice. If you plant more seeds, more crops grow. Yeah, I know, that's big, right? You can take a second to write that down if you like. Oh, thanks, guys. Now, now, hold on. On the surface, that seems obvious. But in the world of wheat farming, it actually gets a bit tricky. Because with wheat, the thing that you plant is the thing that you eat. You know what I mean? You take the wheat seeds and you grind them up and you get flour. And you can use flour to make donuts or bread. See, the seed itself is the thing that you eat. So I could take the grain and eat it, or I could take the seeds, put them back in the ground, and get a bigger harvest of wheat to get more donuts. But all the way along, I still need to eat. And so I end up with this little equation that I have to do. How much do I eat and how much do I put in the ground? And if you're someone who lives off what you grow, and you get a bag of wheat, well, you've got a choice. You could eat it all now, make a few big loaves of sourdough, maybe feed your family for a few months. But in a few months' time, you'll die. Or you could plant it all now, go hungry for a few months, and then whoever survived that gets to eat all the wheat that comes. And you've kind of got this cycle that, going, that goes on. Now, the smart farmer, guys, I know all about farming. The smart farmer doesn't do either of those things. The smart farmer eats a little bit and plants the rest because they know that if they sow sparingly, if they don't put much in the ground, then they'll reap sparingly. But if they sow generously and just eat the little bit that they need then they'll reap generously. That's farming. But it's not just farming that works like that. It's actually true of lots of things in life. It's actually kind of built into the way that life works. The more you sow, the more you reap. I mean, it's not always every single time true, 
Sometimes you might get an amazing bumper harvest or sometimes even though you put all the seeds in the ground, the rain doesn't come, it just doesn't work. It's not always true, but it is generally true. It doesn't happen all the time, but most of the time it does happen. The more you sow, the more you reap. It's true with study, isn't it? Not always. Sometimes you can just fluke it. Sometimes you can fluke an entire subject. But generally, the more study you do, the more you get good results. It's true with friendships. The person who gives more of themselves, who opens themselves up, who puts themselves out there, that person tends to be the one who has more friends, who has more people who love them and rely on them and share with them. Now, it's not always true all the time, but it is generally true. God's designed this world and built this principle into it of putting away, of giving away, losing something in order to gain something better back. And it shouldn't surprise us because the God who created all things is the one who doesn't hold back and hold on to stuff for himself. God gives us, gives us things all the time. God gives life and breath and joy and friends and family. Our God is a giver. And so God's world has been created with giving at its core. And the thing that's generally true with lots of life the more you give, the more you reap. That is true when it comes to giving away money. Now you might say, whoa, I can see it with study or friendships, but when you say that about money, I start getting nervous. That's exactly how Paul says it here. He says in verse 6, take a look at it. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, you Corinthians, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul's talking about farming because he wants to talk to the Corinthians about money. He's telling them to give, to sow cheerfully, not reluctantly, not with regrets, not what's left over once I've got what I want. No, Paul says, remember farming. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Give generously. God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to bless you abundantly. So you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be reluctant or worry that if you give, you're going to miss out. Take a look at verse 10. Now he, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He drops back here to talking about farming again and he points out that if a farmer's trying to work out, do I keep grain for myself to eat bread, or do I sow seed and think about the future? The super important thing for the farmer to remember is that God's the one who gives you bread. God's the one who gives you seed. God is involved in this world. He's behind everything. He gives you everything you need, and everything that you have have comes from him. 
And as a side note, that's why Christians say grace before we eat. Because every meal where God has provided the sun and the rain to grow the food, where he's given us jobs to be able to buy it, every meal is this awesome reminder and chance to thank God that he provides everything for us. And God's involvement in this world is the reason that when the Corinthians think about their money, they don't need to be afraid. God is able to give them everything they need because God is the one who gives bread and gives seed, who rules over everything, who knows my future and everything that I'll need. When the God who gives you everything calls you to be generous with the things he's given you, you can trust him and give generously. You can trust him that what he says in verse 6 is true, that the person who sows generously will reap generously. That giving generously is the way to the good, abundant life he wants for us. Now, some of you might be getting a bit nervous at this point because it sounds like Paul is saying the more you give away, the more you get from God. And that is exactly what he's saying. There's no getting around that. But what is it that you get from God? This is really important. What is the abundance and the harvest and the blessing from God? Is it money? No, it's generosity. You can see it in verse 8. Take a look. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need... You will abound in every good work. God's abundant blessing leads to every good work. Take a look again at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Not the harvest of your bank account, the harvest of your righteousness. And verse 11 You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God promises to give abundantly. And the thing that he gives is generosity. God's great aim for you is to grow you in generosity. And he promises to give you everything you need so that you can be generous. And the more generous you are, you know what? God will give you more generosity. The more you give away, the more God will grow your heart to see that you can give away more. It's like he grows our taste for it. I don't know if you guys have particular foods in your life that you remember once not liking, but now you love. Um, You might be too young. Maybe your taste buds haven't matured yet, gone through that. But there are a couple of things that that is definitely the case for me. Avocado. I remember growing up hating avocado, like it was squishy and green and mushy, but over time, my taste buds grew and matured, and now I love it, probably a bit too much. I'm worried that I'm going to be one of the millennials who doesn't buy a house because they love avocado too much. But in the same way, God can grow a taste in you for generosity, or coffee. 
I once hated coffee, could not stand it. But then I started working in a cafe after I left school. I was just around it constantly and it like absorbed into me and my taste buds, they grew and they matured. And now I love it. Again, probably a bit too much. In the same way, God can grow in you a taste for generosity. Here's another way of coming at it. It's like when a friend has chips from McDonald's and they offer you one. And foolishly, you take one because you know what happens next. You are just filled with a hunger for more. In the same way, if you start giving yourself to being a generous person, God can grow in you a hunger and a heart to love being generous more and more. I think this is just so cool. I feel like I've discovered this fresh promise and truth in the Bible this week, and I've been so excited by it. Because I feel like a bunch of the time, money has its claws in me. I want to be generous, but also I really don't. I want to hold on to my money. I want to have nice things and be able to buy stuff and food whenever I want. But I also don't want to be like that. I wish I was more generous. I've been so excited by this passage that tells me that if I start being generous, God will give me greater generosity. I think a love of things and money is probably one of the greatest, most widespread battles for us as Christians. I think that's true right now in your lives. And I think it's going to be true for your entire life. So how important to get this promise now when you're feeling like money and things and selfishness has a grip on you? The answer is to start giving, start being generous and pray that God will use that to increase and grow a generous heart in you, which he says that he will. Now, this is different to how this passage sometimes gets taught. It gets taught sometimes as part of a bigger set of teaching called prosperity teaching or the prosperity gospel. You might have heard that term before. Uh, Geordie warned us against it in fact this year. Prosperity teaching says God wants what's best for you. We agree up to there. But prosperity teaching says that that means being healthy and enjoying riches and wealth, that God wants you to have lots of things and money. And if you just start believing that God wants them for you, then they'll come. I've heard this taught in disgusting ways, where a person dying of cancer is blamed for not having enough faith that they'd just be well and healthy if only they believed a little bit more. That is utterly disgusting. That is not at all what the Bible teaches. But people flock to it. Some of the biggest churches on our planet teach this. Why? I think because it's greed and selfishness dressed up in Christian clothing. It's what my selfish heart wants all along. My wealth gets to be the goal. But that is not the focus here. God's promises for you are so much better. Contentment. 
a life of abundant generosity where your happiness isn't tied to how much stuff you get. That is way better than money and wealth. Riches don't leave you satisfied. They just leave you wanting more and more. God gives the truly good life, a generous heart, full of contentment, love and satisfaction in Jesus. That is the truly rich life. Now, I want to drive this home for us with some really practical things. In a second, I'll put up on the screen a bunch of tips and examples of what it could look like for you to start being a generous person. But as I do, I, I want to point out that generosity is inevitable for Christians. There are lots of reasons why Christians would be generous. We've zoomed in on one tonight. But probably the biggest reason that generosity is inevitable for Christians is because we see it in the life of Jesus. Just one page back in your Bibles is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven. He was born into poverty in this world. He's born in a stable. He spent his adult life wandering without any money, without a home, and alone, abandoned by his friends, he died at the age of 30. He gave up the glory of heaven for you to come and die in poverty and anguish for you, to make you rich with something so much better than things and money, to save you from your selfishness and sin and to make you rich by inviting you to become a child of God, an heir who will one day inherit the riches of heaven. And so when our king has served us so greatly and been so generous towards us, of course we would be generous. Of course we would. How could I not be when I am a child of the generous God? A generous life is inevitable for Christians when God has given us so much. So practically, what can I start doing to grow as a generous person? Well, first up, don't wait to be generous. Sometimes when we talk about generosity with you guys, you can get this little spiel that's like, well, you guys don't have much money now, so just keep this locked away in your head for the future when the money comes. No, God says he has given you everything you need to be generous, has given you, past tense. With what you have right now, start living the truly good, generous life. You don't need to wait. Number two, be generous with everything you have. This passage is talking particularly about money, but a generous heart will mean giving so much more than just money. Be generous with your time, with your friendship, your energy, your patience, your care and concern for others, your possessions. Take a close look at everything that God has given you and plan to be generous with it all. Which brings us to number three, Plan to be generous and look for opportunities to be spontaneously generous. I think it's unlikely that you'll start giving your time and your money in a way that's really generous unless you plan to do it. This weekend, you might want to sit down for half an hour 
Take a look at the money you have. Take a look at the time that you have and start making plans of how you can be generous with it. But also, work on being someone who looks out for opportunities to be spontaneously generous. Maybe all of your friends uh, have plans to do something that one friend can't afford. And so either you encourage all your friends to do something else, or maybe you even help together to cover the cost for that one friend so that they can be included. Where you see someone who's lonely and you being generous towards them with your time, with your energy, with your friendship would be huge for them. Jump in, be generous. Maybe you notice that someone would really appreciate borrowing something of yours and you choose to go without it for a time so they can use it. Plan to be generous and look for those opportunities for you to be spontaneously generous. Number four, be generous toward the things that matter. What you do with your money and your time can actually transform the lives and eternities of people in poverty. You can be the person whose gift to someone in need means they see God's love and are saved. Give to an organisation like Compassion that gives people things like water and food and healthcare, but also takes them the message of Jesus. That work has been life-changing for hundreds and hundreds of people. Maybe on your next birthday or Christmas, you don't ask for presents for yourself, but you ask that people give money toward that work instead. And what you do with your money and your time can really change things in the lives and eternities of people on the Central Coast and in our youth group. A whole heap of you were really generous with your money last term giving to fat. I was so encouraged by that. That was awesome. Find places like that to give where you support the work of the gospel that lasts into eternity. You can use your money, which is so fleeting and temporary to give to work that people and churches are doing that will last into eternity. And you can use your time generously to see lives changed. What if you invested energy in a friendship that you find difficult? Maybe someone who's on the fringes of your circle of friends so that they don't grow bitter about the clickiness of Christians but we're encouraged by the love of Christ in you? What if you gave time and effort to getting to know in a real deep way a couple of people who aren't Christians and you set aside time in your life to pray for them? What if you decided to spend four weeks coming along to Jesus Uncut with the purpose of making friends with new people and chatting to others there who are still figuring out the answers to their questions about Jesus. Be generous toward the things that matter the most because they change people's lives for eternities. Let's pray. Dear God, you are the one who gives bread for food and seed for sowing. You are the one who has given us everything we need not just to live, but to be generous. And yet so often we don't trust you and we're afraid to give away. 
We pray that you'd fill our hearts with a vision of true riches, the life of rich generosity. We pray that our youth group would be filled by people living the good life, the best life, as they love and generously give their time, their money, their energy to others. And above everything, we want to thank you for our servant King Jesus, who came into this world to become poor and give everything so that we would be saved. Amen.